if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 8 as we continue our series in Matthew's Gospel. In 1973, at 18 years old, first year in college, I got my dream job working in a record store. Now, for you younger folks, a record store is this round thing that you put on a turntable and it would play music for you. The the manager of the store was much older than me. He was 22 years old. And a few months after I started, this new guy comes into the store to work. And with me and all my 18-year-old wisdom and two months on the job, I decided to help him learn what he needed to do. He listened quietly for about five minutes and then explained to me that he was the regional manager. <laughs> I had no idea of the power and authority this man had until the moment I watched him fire the 22-year-old manager who'd been stealing from the store. What a shock for me when I found out who that man was. And those listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the same way were astonished by his authority and his teaching. And as we later read in chapter 8, They marvel at his authority and his power when he calms a storm and how shocking it must have been for the folks, the crowds to watch him heal a leper and a paralyzed man with just one word. And in his gospel, as we have read since day one, Matthew shows us Jesus's divine power and authority and and not only his divine power and authority to, to teach, but to heal, but to heal God's people. He is the king whose kingdom, as we read in Matthew 1 and 2 and 3, who has invaded the world. He has come to touch the untouchable. He's come to heal the unhealable, and he's come to save those who could never save themselves. And so read with me along in Matthew 8, and as we finish this section where we have watched three miracle healings, look with me in verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Father, we, we come to your word this morning with humility to sit under its authority. This is you speaking, Lord, and we want to listen. This is you speaking, Lord, and we want to learn. This is you speaking, Lord, and we want to be transformed. May our listening and may our learning end with your name being glorified. For that is why we are here, to live for your glory and not for ourselves. So teach us this morning, we pray, through your word, 
in Christ's name. Amen. So Matthew, in this passage here, continues the story of Jesus's ministry with another miraculous healing. Now, Matthew doesn't record, when you read the book of Matthew, he doesn't record his events in chronological order, as you might see uh, in Mark or Luke. He, he teaches topically. He is teaching in themes so that the, the Jewish audience that he had written to, that was primarily reading this, would understand who the Messiah is and the divine fulfillment of all the Old Testament passages, the prophecies and predictions that Matthew has already earlier brought out. He writes so that the reader, us, and those who were in this day and age, the, the Jewish readers, would understand his power and his divine authority in his sonship as the Son of God. In Ephesians three fourteen through 19, Paul writes to help the, under, the, the saints understand the breadth, he writes, and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. He wanted the Ephesians to understand that there are, there are no limitations to God's love. And, and for the younger folks that are here, as I am speaking this morning, I'm going to use a word you may not be familiar with. The word is scope. And I'm going to be talking about the scope of Jesus's compassion. I'm going to talk about the scope of his power. I'm going to talk about the scope of his, our redemption. And when I talk about scope, I'm talking about the very thing Paul is talking about when he talks about God's love. It's breath and its length and its height and its depth. And, and as you look about here, you see the scope of the Roar's farm and how broad it is and how wide it is. And those are the points that I will be making this morning. I want to talk about the sweeping nature of Jesus's compassion, because that's what, what Matthew is trying to communicate to us. He wants us to see the sweeping nature of Jesus's compassion. He wants us to see the sweeping nature of Jesus's power. And he wants us to see the sweeping nature of our redemption because of Christ's grace. And that's what we see in this, these four verses. Now, Matthew's account of this passage also appears in Mark and Luke's gospel, with each account differing slightly and providing additional insight and additions to the text. Mark tells us that they returned to Peter's house from the synagogue, and Luke tells us that it was on the Sabbath that this event occurred. Now, each account is a little different, but it's not contradictory. It's just different perspective, different writers giving us their view. And each account, as you see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each account provides for us this much fuller picture of the events of that night. For this took place at night. Now, the sweeping scope, first of all, of Jesus' compassion. Jesus walks into Peter's house, as we read here, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Jesus walks into Peter's house, and Matthew writes that he saw the mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Now, if you read Mark's account, Mark's account is where that when they walk into the house, the disciples who were with Jesus, because as we read in Luke's and Mark's account, there are disciples with Jesus. They had been in the synagogue and they come to Jesus and say, immediately say, hey, hey, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And Luke tells us that she had a high fever. And as he does with the leper, 
Jesus touches her and she's immediately healed. Now notice that all three of these miracle healings, for those who are suffering, the leper, the paralyzed servant, and now Peter's mother-in-law, they are healed instantly. They're healed immediately. And the question we want to ask this morning is what motivates Jesus to heal those who suffer so terribly? What motivates Jesus to do this? Matthew 9, 35 and 36 help us understand what motivates Christ. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The breadth and the depth and the height and the length of Jesus's compassion, the scope of Jesus's compassion is evident when he touches the leper, the untouchable man, an outcast in society. It's on display when he agrees, as we read in Luke and Mark's account, to actually go to the centurion's home and to enter that home, the the home of a Gentile, which would have been a curse upon Jesus for doing that. It's on display as he heals those who are suffering terribly. Now understand, to touch the leper and to go into a Gentile's home are acts of defilement that would make Jesus unclean in the eyes of those watching, particularly the religious society. But he came to our world out of love and compassion because we, like those who he's healing here, we are harassed and helpless. We are like sheep. We were like sheep without a shepherd. Sickness is a part of the universal curse that God pronounced on all of humanity because of our common sinfulness. This was this this curse, this sickness was not a part of God's original beautiful and perfect world that he created. But it was ravaged with this deadly virus called sin that entered through Adam and Eve's rebellion. And all brokenness that we see in the world, all suffering, all sin, all sickness, all that we experience in our bodies is the outcome of our sinfulness. And Jesus came to redeem us. He came to redeem us out of compassion. He came to take the curse that was placed upon Adam and Eve as they were expelled from the garden. He came to, in compassion, right all that was wrong. He came because he cares. He came because when we suffer, he wants to bring relief. Now, we we don't always see that. And when we are sick, we sometimes and can maybe often wonder, well, why am I not healed? In Mark 4, as Jesus is asleep in the boat, and this great storm comes up, the disciples are frightened. And they run to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? 
And Martha, when Jesus came to her home and she was, she was serving Jesus and Mary was worshiping at Jesus' feet, Martha goes to Jesus and says, don't you care that I am serving? And we can have this idea that Jesus doesn't care or he's not present, but that's exactly what Matthew is addressing here. No, he does care. He is, he is the God of all compassion. He cared so deeply that he left the perfection and purity and peace of heaven to come into our world and be one of us experiencing our pain and suffering and sorrow and agony and the darkness of the world that we live in, that Chris just prayed about, that he might rescue us from that curse and from God's judgment and from all the brokenness that we experience because of sin. He cared enough to take our place on the cross and receive our wrath, the wrath that we rightly deserved. He cared enough to die the death we deserved and take that curse. That's how compassionate. That's the the sweeping scope of Jesus's compassion. When we're sick and suffering, when we're under trials and pressure, do we, do we ask like Martha and the disciples in the boat, Jesus, don't you care? Be reminded here in Matthew that he, he very much cares. He cares for us in the same way he cared for Peter's mother-in-law. And look, at, I mean, the, the leper's healing was dramatic. Covered with leprosy, surrounded by a crowd, Jesus touches him. He's healed immediately. All leprosy gone. How dramatic is that? A centurion comes to him and he heals a paralyzed man with just a word, not anywhere near him. Another dramatic healing. And yet here in this passage, it's rather ordinary. Peter's mother-in-law, she's sick. She has a high fever. And Jesus just touches her. And she's healed immediately. I know at times we can ask, "Why, why, why doesn't he heal me now? There have been times where I have a migraine headache and I'm laying in bed and I'm pleading with God. You can do this, you know. I I know you can. I read all about it. So what's up? And there's this question that rises up in my heart. You've healed so many. Why not me right now? Listen, disease and death cannot be permanently removed until Sin is permanently removed. That's the reality of our world. Jesus' ultimate work, brothers and sisters, was actually not to heal, but to conquer sin. In the atonement, he dealt with sin and death and sickness. And yet all three are still with us. When he died on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin. 
And those who trust in his atoning, atoning work are immediately delivered from the penalty of sin and one day will be delivered from the very presence of sin and all its consequences. And that is a glorious day. Christ died for our sins, but we still sin. He conquered death, but we will still die. And he overcame pain and sickness, but we still become ill and suffering. There is physical healing in the atonement, just as there's total deliverance from sin and death in the atonement, but we must wait for the fulfillment of that. We must wait for the fulfillment of that deliverance until the Lord returns. Jesus healed because his loving compassion for all of those who were suffering and sick and for their loved ones who were suffering and sick. That's the scope, sweeping scope of his compassion. He healed because he hated sickness. He hated sickness. He healed because he hated disease. And and that was never a part of God's plan. But he also healed. He also healed. And that is what we see here in Matthew. And we see it again and again in the Gospels. He healed to give a preview of his kingdom to come. A kingdom of purity and peace where there is no sin and there is no suffering and there is no sickness. There is no sorrow and there is no grief. That is what we are to learn here in Matthew's account. He came because he's compassionate. Jesus will return. Brothers and sisters, he will return. And there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And on that day, our resurrection bodies will no longer have to battle sin or sickness or death. Eternal life and peace and joy will be ours in Christ. A new body. I, I have this hope that somehow I can have at least some input on my new body. Kind of like when you get options with a new car. I'd like to be a little taller. Maybe blue eyes this time. And no baldness at all on my head. That, that is, I'm, I'm putting in my order now. That is, what, that is what God is saying. You will have a new resurrection body. And he is doing this because he's compassionate. And listen, he is as compassionate. The sweeping scope of his compassionate is as evident and real and powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. So in this passage, just in this one moment, and when Jesus entered Peter's house... He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Oh, the sweeping scope of Christ's compassion. Secondly, we see in his passion, the sweeping scope of Jesus's power. Luke tells us that when, when Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law, the fever immediately left her. All three accounts tell us she immediately began to serve Jesus and his disciples, Andrew, James, and Peter, who were there, who'd been at the synagogue because it was the Sabbath day. Mark tells us that when they returned from the synagogue, the disciples immediately told Jesus that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Now, I trust they're trying to be compassionate, compassionate towards Peter's mother-in-law, but I also know that the disciples had a real hungering for food. 
And often, you know, after church, what are you guys going to do? Most of you are going to go home. You're going to have lunch. You're going to eat. And these guys have been working all day with Jesus, traveling around. The synagogue time is over. The Sabbath is ending. It's time to eat. Well, who's going to make that food if the mother-in-law is lying in bed sick? And so, hey, Jesus, come immediately. You need to heal this woman. We're kind of hungry. I think it's here. And like the leper and like the centurion servant, Jesus' divine power is on display because he immediately heals this woman. The, and and the, here's how the power of his healing is evident. I mean, we saw it with the leper and we see it with the centurion and his servant. But here, if you've ever had a fever, if you've ever had the flu and you've had a fever and you've been sick, or maybe you've had COVID and you, you've had a fever and you've been sick, you don't get up immediately after that fever has left you and start working and doing all the daily tasks that you normally do. You kind of lie around in bed for a few days. That fever, although it is gone, the remnants of that fever still affect you. That's not what happened here. She got up immediately. She began to serve. She w- I mean, there's nothing in any of the Gospels telling her she was kind of walking around fainting. No, she, she just began to serve. Now, she's healed, but Jesus' day is not over. She's gotten up. She's made the food. She's served the Savior. She served the disciples. And as they're sitting there, it is evening. And in verse 16, we read, That evening, they brought... To him, many, many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out spirits with the word and he healed all who were sick. They, they brought many to him. He touched many. He spoke a word to many. His power was evident. All were healed. Those oppressed by demons were freed with the word and all who were sick were healed because no one, brothers and sisters, is too far from Christ's compassion and too far from Christ's power. Not not the demon oppressed, not the unclean leper, not the Gentile, and not the sinner. Jesus turns no one away, not then and not now, because his healing the sick and his healing of delivering those who are demon oppressed was to point to his power and to point to the greater problem facing everyone. The sweeping scope of Jesus's power is evident in all three of these healing miracles. He is powerful. And the third thing that we see that Matthew wants us to see is the sweeping scope of our redemption. And it's why Matthew quotes Isaiah here. All these healings happened that Jesus might fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And Matthew paraphrases what was written in Isaiah 53 to make his point. Our greatest problem is not sickness. Our greatest problem is sin. That is what Matthew is pointing out here. And one of the things that is necessary when you are reading through the New Testament and you come across an Old Testament prophecy, an Old Testament quote, a passage from the Old Testament, one of the 
one of the, the things the Jews knew to do was to go to that passage and read the entirety of the passage so they would understand its context and they would understand its content. And so that is what we are to rightly understand Matthew's use of Isaiah 53. We must read it in its full context. If we don't, we will be like some Christians who, who misuse this verse in chapter 8, that every Christian should be healed all the time at every moment of all sickness and all suffering and all grief and all trials. And that is not what Matthew is trying to convey. The Bible is clear, brothers and sisters, that grief and sickness and sorrow and suffering are all related or indirectly related to our sin. And let me read Isaiah 53 to you just to give you an understanding. Surely he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now that's what Matthew is quoting just a bit differently. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But here's the context. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. And this is, this context is spiritual healing. Now, it doesn't mean physical healing is not possible. It is because God is compassionate and he is powerful. But the context here is sin and the need for spiritual healing. Why? Isaiah goes on. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. That, brothers and sisters, is the context of this passage. Isaiah 53 stresses that Jesus bore our sins. It also says he bore our griefs and he bore our diseases because they're all connected to one another. Sin is the root of all grief and disease and brokenness. And as a result of of bearing our sin, he grants us complete healing in principle and a promised in a promised kingdom yet to come. That is that is what we're looking forward to. That is that is the view that Matthew is is giving to us. That is the picture he is painting for us. Brothers and sisters, there is there is a kingdom yet to come. The pain that you feel right now, the trials that you go through right now, the pressures that weigh you down, the fears that you battle against, the sin that you struggle with, the anxiety that that just seems to encompass you, all that is gone in his kingdom. All, All that is gone in his kingdom. The central message of the gospel is deliverance from sin. It's the good news about forgiveness, not health. Jesus made sin, not disease. He, 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 he was made sin, not disease, because, and he died on the cross for our sin, not for our sickness. As Peter declares in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Listen, Christ's wounds heal us from sin. 
That's what Christ's wounds do. And yes, there are times when he heals us from disease. There are ways God uses. There are, these are miracle healings. But God has given this amazing grace through the gift of medicine, through the gift of medication, through the gift of essential oils and vitamins that my wife would give me. God's grace is expansive. And here is the scope of our redemption, that he, he heals our wounds. He heals our sin. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. We, we wear his righteousness and, as we sang, faultless to stand before his throne. Jesus took our infirmities. He carried away our diseases In a sense, he saw and felt the destructive power of their root cause, which is sin. Listen, he did not look at pain of sickness and death without feeling it himself. He did. He felt it. They're all tied to the curse. It's why he asked in Matthew 9, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Well, neither is easier or harder. The root cause is sin, and only Christ's redemption can remove both. And he does. Jesus, Jesus understands what we feel because he felt the weight of our sin and the curse when he was on the cross. He knows the agony. He knows the confusion. He knows the despair. He knows the frustration that disease and sickness and suffering and trials and pressure and anxieties in this world bring to us. And his redeeming work has dealt with it all in such a devastating way that ultimately all sickness and all sin and all trial and all pain and all sorrow and all grief will be totally removed in this new heaven and new earth, this new kingdom. On on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus gave his three disciples a brief glimpse of his glory. And it was stunning to them. And in the Gospels, through the many healing miracles, Jesus gives us a brief glimpse of the glorious kingdom that awaits those who trust in him as their savior. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, that's what Matthew wants us to see 
awaits us. That is the scope of our redemption, life in his eternal kingdom. Don't don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't care. Oh, he does. And here's what he's promised. Father, thank you for what you have promised us, not just what is to come, but what we experience now. Christ's presence, Christ's nearness, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that we might live for Christ and experience all the benefits of being born again. Oh, Lord, make those benefits a reality to every person here today. May they see how great your compassion is, how great your power is, and how great their redemption is. In Christ's name, amen.